Hello, everyone. Welcome to At the Table with Hands and Voices. I'm your host, Janet DeGeorge, and welcome to this episode entitled Professionals as Unbiased Supporters with our special guest, Dr. Lilak Saperstein. The po this podcast series is brought to you by Hands and Voices, where we envision a world where children who are deaf and hard of hearing have every opportunity to thrive and achieve to their full potential celebrating all families and their diverse cultures, ensuring equity and inclusion for all. So excited to introduce today's guest, but first, this podcast is sponsored today by the Hands and Voices Virtual Waiting Room. This site was created for families with children who have been referred to or are in the care of an audiologist and who are receiving services virtually or in person. The goal is to re replicate some of the experiences and benefits of an actual in-person waiting room. Parents will find a guidebook for audiology, questions to ask an audiologist, connections to family-to-family -family support, even a care station, and more. Please check this out at www.handsandvoices.org. And now, today's guest is on a mission to help parents connect with with and advocate for their children. Dr. Lilak Saperstein is an educational audiologist and parent coach. From her speaking engagements to her clinical work, she has impacted thousands of people with information and support in their time of need. Her specialty is helping parents think outside their current state about potential resources and support they can access so they feel more confident about reaching their goals and intentions. Today, I'm excited to introduce to you the host of the All About Audiology podcast, just celebrating her 50,000th download, Dr. Lilak Saperstein. Welcome, Lilak. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm so honored. Yeah, that is so impressive. Impressive. 50,000 downloads. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I, you know, I, I love podcasting. I'm so excited about your new endeavor here. And I think podcasting has such a way to reach people in their ears while they're doing other things, but it's also quite intimate. You get like a long form conversation. So I'm a big fan of the medium. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I, I have to tell you, when I when we here at Hands of Voices decided to do a podcast series and we were thinking about different topics and people to interview, I, I just kept thinking, like, I'm going to ask people that I'm really interested in, that I that have impressed me in terms of what they're doing in their lives or careers. And as I've gotten to know you, you are just an outside the box audiologist. I yeah. have loved getting to know you and I'm, I'm really just so honored that you could um, be here with us today. Uh, and I'm interested in how you became an audiologist. Tell us a little bit about that story. Okay, so audiology for me came kind of as a surprise. Um, while I was already in my second year of college, I thought I was going to be a teacher, then maybe a scientist, maybe a doctor. I was doing that, like trying all the different things. And I really loved linguistics. And I was taking all these phonetics classes. And all of a sudden, I realized, hey, wait a minute. There's this field that integrates all these different interests that's kind of paramedical, but it's also a lot about language and language development. And then someone just told me, how about audiology? They kind of like brought it into my attention. It wasn't really a career that I 
knew about or had any like connection to aside from, you know, my grandparents had hearing aids, that kind of thing. But then the more I started learning about it, it hit so many different elements of what I wanted to do. Mostly it was the counseling piece. Cause at first, you know, maybe oh. I was going to be a therapist. Maybe I'd be working with families. Maybe, like for sure it had to be with people and it had to be sciencey. So it kind of just came out of trying to fit all my various interests into one thing in audiology had all those things. So I was excited about that. Uh, you you strike me as a person that that wants and likes to be around people. I think people like to be around you too. Um, yes. Did you did you have any life experiences with deaf and hard of hearing people growing up or um, anything like that? Or so again, my grandfather was very severely uh, had you know had a hearing loss that was pretty significant in the way that he was very isolated. And my grandmother always interpreted for him, like she would repeat what everyone else said, because he knew her voice and her accent. Um, so I kind of had that experience. And I did have one friend with a cochlear implant growing up. So I like was aware of its existence. But you know, it wasn't the driving force there. More, I was coming at it from the education piece, and seeing how kids would be able to access communication and, and education when they had these various quote unquote barriers. Right. And that was the piece that was interesting for me. Yeah. Oh, that's very cool. Um, tell us a little bit about your work today, what you're doing and, and just the different areas that you're exploring in this um, area of audiology. Sure. Okay. So after doing a bit of clinical work um, at a school for the deaf. And then afterwards, as a cochlear implant audiologist, I kind of got the hospital side, the school side. Um, I saw something that I felt was a big gap. And that was the parents, because we were focusing so much on testing, programming, um, you know, taking care of all the devices and making sure the batteries were good and the tubes and all the technical little things and focusing a lot on the child and their devices. And the parents, many times I felt that they were kind of dazed. Like that is the, the state that I would most meet parents in. Um, just like not really quite sure what's right, what's going on, what's the next step. And the more I noticed that I, I wanted to address their concerns and their questions. And then I would see many of them didn't even know what their questions were or what concerns they should have. Like even they were dazed about being dazed. <laughs> yeah. And that's where all my work really started with focusing on parents. So it started with the podcast and then just doing a lot of interviews and trying to reach parents and say, okay, here's what you should be asking. Here's what a lot of things, the resources that you mentioned, right? Like, what does this all mean? How do we understand these words? And then as we got deeper and deeper into my work, it was how do parents accept, understand, grieve, advocate? like go through all these different stages so that there is a focus on the parent's journey. And that's what I do now. I have a support group and various retreats that are fully focusing on the parent's experience. Yeah, I can really resonate with you on that sort of dazed experience. And it's interesting because I think especially in the beginning, we as families who are going through this journey and are encountering different professionals in our life. I think like for me anyway, the early intervention provider was sort of my relational anchor because I was seeing her every week. She was in our home kind of 
sort of living out our life with us where the encounter with an audiologist is different. It's not as often. It's in a clinic-based setting, which I think sort of clinches you up anyway. I think there's often the dynamic of sort of the physician-patient sort of construct in your head. If you're wearing a white coat, you're sitting quietly taking the information. So, So I really appreciate the fact that you are sort of dismantling sort of that those conditions within the context of of that setting, because I I think it can be a challenge for audiologists, especially when they have a short period of time and they do have to do particular testing. This concept of just kind of opening up the door, though, to understand that even those things that that appointment really is for the family. And I I think you've just dug into the, the essential element of sort of that relational trust building so that families can kind of let go and be able to really share what's going on. Yeah. yeah. And the idea that the relationship between the parent and the audiologist is a priority at all, like, mm-hmm. you know, in the studies of becoming an audiologist, there is definitely um, some aspect of let's talk about counseling, how to explain things, you know, a lot of informational counseling. What does this mean? And what should you do? And how to charge things? Like literally it comes back all the time to the devices, like teaching you how to use the device. And that takes up so much time and it's very important, of course. Yeah. Um, but the question is why? What's under, like in service of what? Why are we doing all this? Mm-hmm. And And sometimes that piece of the conversation it's almost like, well, it's obvious because we're trying to help them here, but but in service of why? So why do we want them to have access to sounds? And is that the only goal we have for this child and for their progress? Yeah. Um, if we want to jump into bias, <laughs> yeah, I think that even there, right there is a question of like, we're doing all this thing for devices so they can hear, so they can access sound, so they can, so they can, so they can on so many layers. But what about for them to feel included? For them to have, for children to have an easy, accessible, like, you know, uh, independent of technology way of communicating with family. Do we bring up sign language? Do we bring up gestures? Do we think about the way they'll make friends? And those are the real goals that parents have. Will my child be bullied? Will my child, you know, have a job when they grow up, have beautiful, fulfilling relationships? And here's an audiologist that's like, these are the buttons, these are the programs, this is how you charge it. And sometimes those two conversations are like not, they're not talking to each other. One person's right. in a very different place. So. Yeah, that's really good. Um, yeah. Let's, let's dive in a little bit um, to bias. Cause it's really interesting to me because I think here at hands and voices, we've been training forever. Um, we, you know, our, our priority is around family to family support in that construct. And so we, from the very beginning, even within our mission statement, you know, we provide support to families without a bias around uh, modality or communication. And I mean, we've taken hits for that since the day we were born, you know, that people would say, you can't be unbiased. So when, so we kept digging deeper and we created literally the definition out of the dictionary, which, you know, the definition of bias is to cause to swerve from a course to influence, usually unfairly or inspire with prejudice. 
um, that idea of intent to occurse, and in our world, sort of the belief that there's one right way for all deaf and hard of hearing kids. So, we, you know, that's held the test of time, and we do, we, we, it's a always a work in progress. But in our context, it's, you know, how we share our journey with our kids with other families, so that we don't coerce or intend to influence another family's journey. So with audiology, it's really interesting because your, your literal career is to bring audition to the lives of children. And so I think there have been, I've been a part of conversations where people say, well, such and such professionals can't be unbiased, you know, whether it's an ASL instructor or an audiologist. And I, I, when I meet people like you, I I understand that that just isn't true, that that anyone, and is particularly professionals, can hone their skills, that they don't have to deny the support that they're offering to families, but this dynamic, and I think it goes back to what you were talking about, sort of that relationship building um, with families. So just talk a little bit more for you about how you personally have achieved this concept of of you know the family journey and their decisions and choices versus sort of your role as an audiologist. Yeah, I think you 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 brought up a really important point about what is the role of said professional, and then what does that personal connection, the person you actually meet, like what do they do? So when you say audiologists, you're talking about you know seventy thousand people, but what about your audiologist? That is you know, named Sarah, like (laughs) those are two very different things. And that's the same exact concept. When we say deaf and hard of hearing kids, we're talking about a huge umbrella, a big bucket of children with all different etiologies and case history and factors and resources and, 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 and all the different factors. But are we talking about your child, like Jessica, you know, let's talk about her. So that it goes on both sides, on the professional side and on each individual child. So I would start at the very beginning. The very beginning is that many people receive hearing loss diagnosis, which even those words, hearing loss, there's something wrong. Diagnosis is a medical thing. Mm -hmm. And so even those words carry meaning towards one direction, which is there's a problem that needs to be fixed. And they're hearing that most most commonly from an audiologist or an ENT. And those are people with status. Those are people with lots of letters and degrees after their name. And and what they're also, the messaging behind that is there's a problem. Here's how to quote unquote fix it. And here's what we need to do immediately with urgency. And that's one prevailing, what's the word? Prevailing um, narrative that most parents are getting. And are they getting any additional uh, perspectives and narratives around having a deaf or hard of hearing child? Likely not, unless they come online, unless they have personal relationships, unless they come to Hands and Voices and meet other people and see that there's a difference. But the default of how they would discover this, identify their deaf or hard of hearing child is from a medical model that is looking at it in that way. And then... As you move forward, you're going to have those same professionals also intervening or telling you that intervention is necessary urgently, medically, and they're giving you educational 
I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> There's a little bit of um, thunder and lightning and I'm oh, anxious about the internet. Yeah. So I'm like trying to focus and it's distracting <laughs> me. So, <laughs> and now, yeah, there's like a big uh, thunder and lightning storm. Wow. Okay. So, <laughs> okay. Just if, if it becomes dangerous, yeah, let's not put your life at risk above the park. <laughs> but you're doing really good. So keep going. <laughs> no, I'm just explaining like sometimes I'm like losing my focus here. Okay. Um, so if, if they're if they're presenting it as an issue and they're also making they including myself right as a professional we're making also educational recommendations of what kind of school or audiologists who tell you don't learn sign or yes learn sign or get involved which are not necessarily fully within our scope and that's a real controversial thing to say as an audiologist right <laughs> so and the parent this is the professional why should I even know that there's outside perspectives, narratives, options in this world, if not for, you know, relationship, community, Instagram hashtags, right. <laughs> TikTok, or, you know, a podcast that, that you might come across that you might learn about. Right. You know, it's so interesting because um, I used the word medical model the other day in a conversation with different different individuals and, and someone said, hey, do you mind if I ask you a question? Because it feels like when you or other people use the term medical model, it has a really negative connotation because I was talking about the context of of the medical aspect of the journey of raising a child who's deaf or hard of hearing in and what you just described sort of the more holistic nature of this of this um experience and um i i thought that was a really good challenging question because i said no i don't i don't i'm not trying to use it in a negative way i think families appreciate and utilize and need the support services of professionals with letters after their names. I mean, we do rely and yeah. depend on that. So I think we've we've sometimes set up the contracts construct in our world of the either or that you either are having the holistic D deaf experience or the medical model cure it. And I think in today's age, families more and more are living out their life experience with both of those things in the balance. And when you encounter a medical professional who also holds those things to be true, it's like a dream come true for families where you're moving between your worlds and you don't have to defend your position depending on who you're sitting across from, whether it's an audiologist or a, you know, a deaf individual who, who does not see this life experience in any sort of deficit base or in need of being fixing. And for us as families, my gosh, just trying to get a handle on all this, especially in the beginning is so complicated. I mean, I just remember people telling me, like, if you ever sign to your daughter, she'll never learn to talk. Or if you if you don't teach your child to listen and speak, she'll never make it in the world. And it is a hard road to process. And when you get professionals in your life who are there to support you and not a philosophy or a methodology, it it just it, it just changes your world, you know. So um, this is kind of why I wanted to just explore this more with, with you and particularly in audiology 
Um, do you feel like in today's um, profession with the colleagues that you come encounter and conferences you go to or conversations that you're having on podcasts or wherever, do you feel like there's a trending towards that more of an understanding of that? Or do you still feel like we're stuck a little bit in the quote medical model? I think things have changed and are continuing to change. My favorite people to talk to online are students, and I hear a lot that they are finding the podcast and, you know, because, you know, millennials, Gen Z, we're online, like there's a way more connection, even in during your studies, that not all your information is coming from textbooks and lectures. So you already, as, as you start into the field, are being exposed to other people and other perspectives. Um, so like that part of it, I'm... I'm very a big fan of that. Yeah. We're already communicating, and also not only within the profession, but outside with other professionals, OTs and PTs and speech therapists. And um, yeah, I think that that already the tide is changing for sure. Yeah. Um, and I also think that what what is changing is that the technology has improved so much that it's it's less binary. The decision also is less binary. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to think how to how to formulate this this idea you talked about how you know the the medical model might be looked at as a negative thing and i i think that there my husband is a family doctor let's start there so him and i kind of went through our training together residencies and and we, we have this conversation all the time that family medicine as a metaphor is someone who knows you who you see every so often throughout the year who also might know your family history because they literally know your family, he, uh-huh. you know, treats the grandma knows the aunt. So he like has the real picture of what's going on in your family. And he's like always checking your labs and keeping on top of things. And then when there's an issue, okay, let me tell you which specialist to go to. Then you go to the specialist and the specialist is more direct trying to get to like an, an issue. So I think that, there's some kind of metaphor there about how there needs to be some, some like family doctor, family physician that, that is family audiologist that kind of gets more about your entire context and who you are. And then when you need a cochlear implant mapping, yes, please go to someone who's really good at cochlear implant mappings and does that very well. And then that also frees up the cochlear implant audiologist from having to spend time that they don't have, um, you know, talking to you about how are they doing in school and what else is going on? Because that's not, you know, that's not a good use of their expertise. They should be really specialized and that you should, as a parent, feel that there are other options, that you can join an online support group or hands and voices meeting and parent peer support for that, not from your audiologist. So maybe like giving space that it doesn't have that the audiologists don't have to contain all elements of this journey for you i think is where where that goes absolutely yeah i think i think that's a really good point and i i think that leads to thinking about where families get support from a lot of different areas you know family then we're huge advocates of family to family support and you know it's interesting because sometimes um early intervention providers or other specialists will say, when we describe what we do in family to family support, they say, well, we do that. We provide emotional support. We 
provide information and resources. And I'm like, yeah, we're not trying to supplant what you do. It just comes from a different lens. And so I think the beauty of, of what we all do together, which is like, like from my point of view as a family to family support provider, I would no, never come in and try to dismantle what a family was told by an audiologist or a medical professional when, when, if, especially when we are all, whether it's professionals, deaf and hard of hearing adults, even our community within our communities, um, other professions, that if we're all focused on the needs of the child, which is why I love our motto at Hands and Voices, you know, what works for your child is what makes the choice right. It create it does create a seamless system. And we talk about that all the time. So yeah. Um, what you know, sometimes I think people have a little difficulty understanding like the concept of, well, I'm not biased or what does, what, do you have any examples of, of what that looks or feels like in encounters that you've either heard from families or, cause I got a lot. But yes. Just, like, okay. what, I will just yeah. <laughs> I tell you about this. You told me this was the topic. And the first thing that I thought of was jury duty. About 10 years ago, I was called to jury duty and I went through like two rounds and I was up there the third time of like almost being picked for this jury. And the question they asked me there was, uh, do you believe that you could be unbiased? It was a case also there that was pertaining to police and there were various things that they wanted to know, like, does anyone have a police officer relative? And this and that. So they asked me, do you think you could be unbiased in this case? And I said, I remember this, like feeling real proud of myself. <laughs> I said, there is no such thing. We all come with our experiences. We all come with what we know and our family history and our cultural histories and where we live. And of course I've had, you know, every single person has had interactions that are both positive and neutral and negative with all different types of people. Like that question is a real moot point for anyone on this jury. Like that was me being (laughs) all philosophical. And they let me go. Yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I think it worked. But it's actually, it actually is a huge part of my you know, core belief is yeah. that each person does come from a whole lineage, like even before your life, right? What what stories your family carries, um, you know, intergenerational values. And by the time you come to your life and your issues, and especially your child, there's a lot there. That's you know, very important. So what's the context around, um, you know, ableism or stigma in general? There are some communities where if a child has any disability or any anything that is not like the others, mm-hmm. they want to hide that. They want to um, keep it hush. They don't want other people. So they're very wary of getting support and, and reaching out because then this is a shameful thing. And other communities where the second there's something going on, they post about it, they share about it, they're reaching out to everyone, and they're much more open to receiving that. And that is way before we're even talking about, you know, deaf and hard of hearing kids. That's a much base level thing. And then, you know, also the idea that we hear people say things like, how will this affect their future? For some families, the future success of a child is everything from before they're born. Like this child will be X, Y, Z. If that means the same as us religiously, or they will be a doctor or a lawyer, 
like or love, kind of love music yeah. or be a good athlete. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, you, you know, I didn't, I don't even think about that one. Cause like who does sports in my family? Nobody even knows <laughs> sports, right? But there are families that if you don't do sports, like you haven't done a thing in your life, that's the whole thing. So now if you're going to have a device that makes it dangerous for them to do contact sports, mm-hmm. that's a big deal. And I don't know that I would have ever thought of that until I you know, met a family that that was their concern with their infant, that they won't be able to play football. Right. Like, it never occurred to me. So I think people come in with a lot of biases in general as people, because yeah. we are. And that's not a bad thing. That's beauty of right. life and diversity. Yeah. Um, but the main thing I think I hear is that people are afraid that their their child will be treated as less than. Mm-hmm. And one of the biggest like mindset shifts that happens is that that starts with you. You need to start as the parent saying, "Do I see this child, and will I treat them as?" less than, less capable, let, you know, give them less access to other things because, well, I can't hear it. So why should I sing? You know, that kind of perspective. And that's like, you know, you pick that up somewhere and we need to take a look and explore those feelings and not judge you about them. Cause why should you know any different? But that's a place to start. Um, this, <laughs> this is really good because you're not, you know, I'm, I was really interested in today to explore the bias of audiologists. And I think you brought up a really good point about sort of also what families bring in terms of bias, not in, not necessarily in terms of methodological, you know, area, yeah. but I, I want to go back to your jury story for a second, because I cannot tell you how many uh, research articles people have sent me here at Hands and Voices to say you cannot be unbiased. And I understand, and especially in this day and age of, of looking at implicit bias, you know, anti, anti-racism versus racism, I, it's a huge topic in today's world. And so for us to stand on a hill and say, we provide unbiased support or support yeah. without bias, or can't you say, people have given us all kinds of other words to use because it really is a trigger for people to say, there is no way to be unbiased. So again, I will go back to our definition, which is this intent to coerce and why that resonates with us in the journey is that um, there have been many, most families and and particularly, um, I, I would, I was going to say in the past, but I keep hearing stories today in today's world of families of people who are dedicated to with their intent to course for us to make certain decisions as the right decision about whether our ch- children should uh, be listening, listening in spoken language or American Sign Language or whatever language you are in the world um, or bilingual or signing with written English or both total communication, the intent to chorus is out there every day. And so we 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 don't back down from the the concept that we um, look at, which is families go through a particular process when they get good information, resources, and support to make the decisions that are right for their children. And it's not a one-time thing. It, it's not like you decide and then you're stuck in stone. You, of course, are responding then to your child as they grow and learn. And so there's this 
beautiful freedom when you're not stuck on a modality that you're able to respond to the need, the particular needs of, of your child. So, um, so that's always where we all always kind of defend. But I think it's really important yeah. to talk about the the truth is that we do all have biases, and so so some of the ways that we here have worked through the idea of how do you learn and grow in that, which is really simple strategies when you're across from a family on, and it's some of the things you've already talked about in terms of relationship and listening and what the point of the encounter is that that clinical encounter isn't actually for you to perform the tests, although we do need the tests. Um, but it's what are the needs of the what what is the family, you know, needing and I, I loved somebody who said, um, like even thinking about rather than asking a family at the end of the, a visit, do you have any questions to ask them in the beginning, what do you hope to get out of today's um, today's you know session and even if it is the parent like well i thought i was here for a audiology test you know the test but at least that yeah. gets the conversation <laughs> going you know so yeah that's really good and then and then i really like what you said about about i think both i i think audiologists who are are really committed to meeting the needs of families to help families process through their own biases or whatever you call you call them. That's really a good line of thought. I like that. You know, I, I recently learned this, I, I can't back this up, but I you know, I heard about it. Um, that this idea that children who need who go to counseling, who get therapy for whatever issues they're facing, um, you know, they their results are kind of a taught like toss up of how much that counseling will help. But if their parents go to counseling, that's that seems to have many good outcomes on the child, whatever issue they had. I've recently heard that. I wish I had the actual uh, source. <laughs> but that is, that really fits into a huge part of, A, my personal experience, but that's besides the point, and B, <laughs> my professional outlook, which is that children swim in the environment that they are in. And yeah. who their primary caregivers are affects pretty much all of it. Uh, we talk a lot about the what happens at school and what happens with friends, but all the majority of the hours and interactions are happening with primary caregivers at home and with siblings. So if there's a place to tackle the thing that's going to make the biggest impact, that's where it is, not yeah. just from a language-rich perspective, but also from you know a much bigger, broader what kind of situation are people in? And that brings us into all these huge topics, which you, you touched on as well, which is the systemic things like, are, does a person have stable housing? Do they have, you know, stable food, access to nutrition and like, you know, base level, um, just, I'm sorry. It actually hurts my, my heart sometimes when I, yes. when I was working with families that I could see, there were much bigger issues than were their devices on uh, all waking hours. Yeah. And it's like, what are you even talking about? You know, we're, we're, we're drowning in so many other areas. And what you're talking about is completely very low on our list of like available resources, right. emotionally, mentally, physically, I mean, financially, et cetera. 
Yeah, and we're not <laughs> we're not asking the audiologist to fix all those things in a 30-minute encounter, but when right. <laughs> an audiologist who asks a parent how many hours a day did you have your, you know, the hearing aid in and the parent has to lie because they're <laughs> feeling ashamed, but there if there's that sense of judgment, you know, there it's it's so nuanced in the relationship, I think, where where you sit down and across and you can feel as a parent whether that person that professional is however short or long amount of time they have isn't judging you or treating you less than because you weren't able to do you forgot your hearing aid i know that's a huge issue for audiologists when yeah. you know they tell the parent bring the hearing aid in and the the parent doesn't but i think if i just have to say that we we hear from vets sometimes and like some of the professional groups and they say people have come to the vet without their pet and oh, yeah. <laughs> that one is just is beautiful and it happens it happens yeah, that is. yeah. so <laughs> i just think I, I i think you've just struck on though that that's really important in terms of of um understanding that families have a lot going on in their lives besides that um that that one thing and like i said you you still got to do your job but it's just there's just something about um, back to I'm here to support the family the best I can in today's thing and whether it's even and it's also then gets back to how you describe and and explain things and give families um, whether it's uh, a video or written material so that it, it may be even in that moment if they can't hear everything or absorb everything um, yeah. to understand that emotions are really a great thing, whether it's crying or laughter or stoicism. That's just one moment you're with the family. Don't believe that just because they're not responding emotionally, they don't feel what's going on. Yeah. Or if they're sobbing, that they can't also still take in some information. It, you know, so it's it's a great you know, it's a very challenging profession, I would think, in a lot of ways to be an audiologist. But I appreciate so much the audiologists that have been in our lives. And um, anyway, I think I I really appreciate your your work and your um, context for understanding that in terms of supporting families. Yeah. You got a good thing. And what, what my biggest thing is, it's about parents taking a moment with within all the chaos within all their their storm that they're experiencing and thinking about what is their actual goal and intention and what do they want out of their parenting experience out of their relationship with their child beyond will my child succeed and you know are they going to be okay those are important questions but yeah. the real question is what is actually important to you and when you get clear on your values everything else kind of falls into place for some families, there's a huge value in education. That is, you know, that is the definition of success and inclusion in the world. And for other families, they're much more focused on the social aspect and they want their child to be integrated in the community and education or academic success takes right. a backseat. And those two things, there's not one right or wrong. That's just mm -hmm. how different families are. And if you are clear, then you don't go into this head-to-head -head conflict in IEP meetings and head-to-head -head conflict with your child's teacher because you know what you want. So you come in the first day and you say, you know, please, really important that our child learns basic manners, like for a kindergarten teacher. You know, that's really important. If they learn their ABCs this year or next year, when they're, you know, when they're six or seven, maybe that that's their reading journey is going to be like a little different later on. 
than other kids versus a family that comes in and says, our child needs to hear every phoneme and we're not letting go of any sound. And they're going to go six times to the audiologist to make sure that they can tell the difference between S and SH. And those two approaches are both right for if you know, otherwise you'll just be like swimming in everybody else's opinion and direction, what the teacher says, what the doctor says, what you read online, what your friend says. So that's what I think is we got to get grounded and we got to get clear on what you really value. Yeah. And that also might change, by the way. Yeah. As you change. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. I just have to tell you, um, we're just getting ready to publish an article called It's More Than the S Sound. And the featured mm-hmm. photograph in the article is my daughter, Sarah, who for Halloween this year dressed up as Sally sells seashells down by the seashore. <laughs> It led to this conversation about sort of growing up and focusing on um, on speech production. And I think it's a really great article because we're we're not like slamming the idea that you shouldn't have good articulation at all. It's just in the holistic nature of how to approach it as parents. And like you said, what your goals are. And I I think like what you said, they they change. There's different focuses at different times. But overall, in thinking about what is it? Um, what is it and who, what are our values and who do we want our children to become? And I loved what you said about um, being able to think about what those goals are and so that they're not just focused on one, one small thing. Um, this has been so great. I want to close today by just, um, I know we have both professionals listening today and parents. Um, one just final piece of advice or thought for parents and one final piece of advice or thought for professionals. Okay. I will start with my colleagues, yes. professionals <laughs> out there. And my biggest piece of advice is for you to be really clear on what you want to do. <laughs> and it might seem a little cheesy, but when you start, when you start out a career, you often have expectations or ideas of what that's going to be. And that also might change over time. And you will discover that there's things that you don't agree with, things that you see are maybe bordering unethical. And like your impact in the profession starts where you're working, where you are, what you do. So speak up, go to meetings, change protocols. Like it, it has to be you. Sorry to put that on you, everyone. But the other option, I think, is burnout. It's like nobody understands. The system is broken. Um, and that's really a hard place to be. So I think if it's not working, change it. Fix it. Get on there as much as you can. And know that there's a possibility of change and there's other people doing things differently. And as much as you can, find the places that you do have kind of control over how you do things or what you're doing. And, you know, do that. (laughs) It's scary. I I think, you know, that's largely based on my experience of coming in, having some lofty ideas and then saying, I don't know if this is necessarily going to work out in this uh, particular setting. And then it's okay. Maybe it's not going to work in the setting, but hey, I can write. I could be on a podcast. I could, you know, run my own online support group meeting, you know, retreats and different things that I'm doing that are separate from that work. So. Mm. 
That's one thing. With kindness, yeah? Self-kindness. <laughs> uh, before you switch to the families, I that is just such a beautiful statement as well. I know we have a lot of family leaders listening today and family to family supporters, and that is just beautiful advice for them as well. So thank you. Okay, now what do you have to say to us? <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Parents. Uh, first of all, you're rock stars. You're doing amazing because, hey, you're taking time to listen to this podcast. You're seeking resources, help, support, and that's the first step of anything. So yes, pat on your shoulder, gold star, and get into the habit of doing that for all the little things because no one else is going to tell you that. I mean, I will, right? <laughs> but you have to be your own your own biggest uh, cheerleader, and that's a big role. Um, but my, my advice to you is to not forget the main point of connecting with your child, of going on walks, of taking pictures of them eating ice cream, of, you know, holiday traditions that's that's coming up, making life the point, <laughs> making the relationship and the love and the safety the goal of everything and not letting go of that. Because we've seen so many cases of children who grow up and then say, here's what you worked so hard for. And here's what I really needed actually was your presence, your attention, acceptance. Um, so yeah, not that, you know, we can ever do it right, but I guess we can move the focus. So yeah, I, I hope I wish I pray for you and wish for you that you will have many joyful and connected moments with your child within all of the context of what's going on. Thank That's you so much. Um, it's been our pleasure to have Dr. Lilac Saperstein with us here today. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, we hope to see you again at a future episode of At the Table with Hands and Voices. Thank you again, um, Dr. Saperstein. It's been wonderful having you here today. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you.